Like Jesus came one day and said, come on, John, I just want to spend the day with you. I want to do the things that you do. For some of us, we might think, I need to change my schedule. Jesus is with me today. And thus, the presence of Jesus would actually change our conduct. And yet Paul reminds us that Jesus is with us. He's already with us. He is in us. And we have been joined to the Lord. We are one spirit with him. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. So I titled this message, We Are Not Our Own. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at all 20 verses of the chapter. We're going to begin by looking at judgments that pertain to life, verses 1 through 6. The unrighteous and the righteous, verses 7 through 11. And finally, every movie's got to say the title of their movie somewhere in the show. We are not our own. There's the title again. Our third point, verses 12 through 20. I love 1 Corinthians 6, 11. I've had this as a favorite verse of scripture for many years. For it is through faith in Jesus Christ that we have become righteous in the sight of God, that we are in a right standing with God. And as a result, the before mentioned sins, the 10 that Paul had named, maybe others that he did not name, sins of unrighteousness, they're canceled out by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there at the cross, such were some of you. What made the difference? Well, we find it here in verse 11. First of all, that you were washed. Now, this is a different Greek word than that of being baptized. It's not saying that you were dipped in the water. Baptismal means to dip. That's not what this Greek word, it's a word that means to bathe, to wash away. And it actually speaks about the inner cleansing that has taken place in your life to be washed, not to be baptized. Baptism is good, but baptism is an outward sign of the inner work that Jesus Christ has done in your heart. To be washed here speaks about that inner work that Christ has washed away your sins by his blood. Jesus Christ, he washes us from the inside out through his work on the cross. The Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 7, But if you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. 
Another way that we are washed from the inside out is through the very word of God. Another verse that I love is Ephesians 5.26. I named my teaching ministry after this, the cleansing word, where in Ephesians 5.26, it says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. The washing of the water by the word. That just as you might wash off physically before you go to bed at night, summertime, you've been wearing some, uh, the kids would say slippers today. We might say flip-flops around here in the Midwest. Kids would say slides. Hawaiians would say slippers. We would say flip-flops. I'll get it right there. Either way, you're wearing sandals without socks on, unless you're from California. I don't know what's up with them. But your feet get dirty. And you'll want to wash those before you go to bed. So true is the word of God that in this life, as I said, coming to the communion table today, that there is this washing that takes place, the washing by the water of God's word. Just by reading the word of God, there is a cleansing process that takes place in our lives. Through the reading, the study of the word of God, he purges out the old life. He makes us new. We can draw near with the true heart of full assurance because our hearts have been washed by the precious blood of Christ and our bodies been cleansed by the pure water of his word. But the second thing, we were not only washed, we were sanctified. This is all in past tense. This is a work that Christ has already done in our lives. We have been sanctified, a word that means to be holy, purified, or consecrated. It's a word that means that we have been set apart to God. We belong to God, the title of our message. We are not our own. We belong to God. Our study in Romans 6, we learned about a three different types of sanctification. That of the believers, there is positional, practical, and ultimate sanctification. Positional sanctification speaks about the moment we receive Jesus Christ, that we have been sanctified positionally, we are sanctified. But practical sanctification speaks about that continual work that God does in our lives as believers. As we live in this life, he sanctifies us. Ultimate sanctification means that one day we'll be in the presence of God and the blood of Jesus Christ will bring us into that true place of sanctification. But not just the blood of Jesus, it's God himself and the spirit of God working together. As it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God of peace sanctifies us. He does it through the spirit of God at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this three-step process of our sanctification, first we look back. It has us looking back to the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross, the work that he did, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. That's positional sanctification. The second, that of practical sanctification, has us looking at the current work of Jesus Christ in our lives today. And then ultimately we look forward to that place where we will be sanctified in the presence of God. Paul reminds us that God has sanctified us, that he has set us apart through the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives.
Third, we have been justified. Again, past tense. It's a finished work. We've been declared just. We've been declared or pronounced righteous. In Romans 5.16, the Bible tells us, the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, referring to the fall of Adam and Eve. For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Our justification, just as if we have never sinned. That's how God sees us. You were justified just as if you had never sinned. How blessed that is. The blessed words where God said about Abraham in Genesis 15, 6, he believed the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. These words were not written for Abraham's benefit. In fact, they were written many years after the life of Abraham. These words, he believed the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness, were actually written to encourage us today. They were written as an encouragement to us. For the same righteousness that was imputed upon Abraham has also been imputed upon us, put upon us, who by faith believe in God, who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. In church life, we have this come as you are policy. But once we have come to Jesus Christ, we are not to stay as we have once been. We're not to stay in the condition in which we have been found. Faith is more than just belief in something because there are people in this world that believe in many different things. Faith is about a transformation that results from our being washed, being sanctified, having been justified through the blood of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, another favorite verse of mine, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. We are new creations in Christ. And having been washed, sanctified, and justified is the position that we have in Christ Jesus. That's the position we have in Christ today. And we conclude with we are not our own, verses 12 through 20. Again, for the context, we pick up in verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Food for the stomach and the stomach for foods. But God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and take them to members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, becomes one flesh. But he who is joined to him, or he who is joined to the Lord, is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know 
that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And we look at our last point here. We are not our own. And he really zeroes in on this issue of sexual immorality. He begins, though, by talking about all things being lawful. And talking about actually food is what he related it to. And perhaps he did this because when we think about all things being lawful, we think about morality today. In different societies, different religions, there are different forms of morality, what people consider to be moral or not. Even within Christianity, uh, we find that Christians from one country and Christians from a different country, they'll have different perspective on things. And even within the United States, we find that there are Christians, different churches, we have different views on certain things. But for example, Lily and I have taken a personal stand against alcohol. We do not drink alcohol of any form, of any kind. And yet we understand from the study of the Bible that there is no prohibition against drinking except for excessive drinking. Even our text, he named being a drunkard. There is always that, as it says in 1 Corinthians 5.11, we looked at this last time, that as believers, we are not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is a drunkard, not even to eat with such a person. While drunkenness is clearly condemned in Scripture, there is no prohibition against alcohol. Yet Lily and I have chosen to abstain from alcohol of all forms. And though it may be lawful for us, we do not believe that it would be beneficial or helpful for us. I think rather it would diminish my testimony before others. And so he speaks about in verses 13 through 14, food for the stomach, the stomach for food. And we find in the Grecian and Roman societies that they taught that since the stomach was made for food, fill it up. Just eat as much as you want. That's what God made it for. Eat, eat, and eat. In fact, we know in the Roman society that they actually would eat so much that they would go, have to go out back to throw up, that they could come back in and eat some more. Sick, but that's what they did. And I think perhaps this is where Paul is pulling this from. They had this idea that since our stomachs have been made for food, then eat as much as you want. And he reminds them that God is going to destroy both the body and the food. In John 6, 27, Jesus said, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food that endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal upon him. Now, I'll admit to you, I like eating. And because I like eating, I weigh more than I should. And the doctor reminds me of that every time I go to see him in my annual checkups. You need to lose some weight. And I say, yeah, I know. And then I go back the next year and I still weigh the same. One year, though, I went back and I had dropped like 10 pounds. You know, every year we do our springtime annual five-day fast. They just happened to have a doctor's appointment right after the fast. 
And so a year later, right after a five-day fast, and I actually, I think at that time, because I wasn't taking medicine and stuff, I actually did the five-day fast. I went without food for five days. And so I went into the doctor's appointment, and the gal weighed me. And she goes, wow, you lost some weight. And I said, well, the doctor said that I was supposed to. And she said, <laughs> I didn't tell her why. <laughs> and she said, yeah, like it's so easy. It was. As long as you don't eat, you lose weight. He also applied this to the sex drive, the sexual appetite. The Grecians, the Roman societies, they said, since we've been created with the sex drive, then indulge. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 5, For this is will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. There should be a difference between Christian and non-believers. But we live in a world today that often there isn't a difference. Our bodies are not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord is what Paul teaches us. And the Lord is for our bodies. And God, who raised up the Lord Jesus Christ, will also raise us up one day in the power of the resurrection. In Romans 8.11, it tells us, If the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead is in you, he who raised up Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Our bodies then are members of Christ, as we look in verses 15 through 17. And we are not to say, take our members of being a member of Christ to take it to a harlot. Porne is the Greek word. It fundamentally means a purchased woman, what we know of as a prostitute. And Paul says, we are not to do this. And yet in the city of Corinth, History records that they had a temple there to Aphrodite's that had a thousand temple prostitutes. And it appears that there were some within the church that continued to visit the temple. And Paul explained to them that do you not know that when you give your body over to a prostitute that you became one with her? He reminds them of Genesis 2.24 and the two become one flesh. When talking about Adam and Eve, when God brought them together, the two became one flesh. But we're also members of Christ, and we're not to bring Christ into that sexual reunion with a prostitute. We don't want to bring Christ there. Think about that today. As Christians, some of the places we go or the things that we perhaps would do would change if Jesus was visibly right near us. Like Jesus came one day and said, come on, John, I just want to spend the day with you. I want to do the things that you do. For some of us, we might think, I need to change my schedule. Jesus is with me today. And thus, the presence of Jesus would actually change our conduct. And yet Paul reminds us that Jesus is with us. He's already with us. He is in us. And we have been joined to the Lord. We are one spirit with him. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 says, Do you not know that you're the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? And if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple 
you are. So finally, verses 18 through 20, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. There's another place where it says it sins against his soul. There seems to be something about sexual immorality that is a deeper sin than the other sins that we could commit, that we sin against our own body, sin against our own souls. We give a part of ourselves away in the process of that. You give a part of yourself away that you can never regain again. So he says to flee from it, to run from these things. We have been bought with the price. Paul reminds us that we flee because we have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been bought with the price. And because Jesus Christ has bought us, he has paid the cost of our sin, then he has right of possession. We are the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And he has right over our lives. He paid the price, the value, the cost that was given by God for our sin. That is the blood of Jesus Christ. He paid the price. Therefore, we are to glorify God with our bodies. So just as sexual immorality is a, a danger for the first century church, it is also one of the great dangers of the 21st century church. So much of the Western society is actually, the whole advertisement industry seems to be wired toward this issue. And yet we are not to gain our understanding of sexual morality or immorality based on the world's standards, but upon God's. First Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which wars against your soul. Remember I said it, it goes deeper into your own soul. It wars against your soul. This sinning against our body or warring against our soul, it's a giving up of a part of ourself which God has designed for a man to give to one woman, for a woman to give to one man. We call that being married, husbands and wives. God isn't condemning sex. He's condemning sexual immorality. Sex in the right place, in the marriage bed, is acceptable before God. God designed it. He gave us the sex drive. But even for us, those of us, who have fallen in these areas of sexual immorality, forgiveness is available. First John 1 John 1.9 reminds us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we must realize that we are not our own, but belong to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. And more than that, the Holy Spirit makes his dwelling in us. In John 14, 17, it says the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The spirit of God is in us. And since we have been bought with the blood of Jesus, may we glorify God with our bodies and our spirits. I just want to encourage you today that whether you're a mom or dad, whether you're a guy or a gal, no matter what your background might be, no matter what your past might be, God is able to use those who put faith in his son, our savior, Jesus Christ. 
Don't ever say that you have disqualified yourself from being a servant of God, from being used by God, because it is God who does the qualifying, not us. God does the qualifying through his work of sending his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And when we accept Jesus as our savior, well, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. And Father, I pray that you would just bless us this day, Lord, with the teaching of your word, a very hard passage of scripture to go through, but Lord, help us to set a standard of belonging to you. That, Lord, we would understand to whom we belong. That we are not our own, Lord, but we are a people who have been washed, sanctified, and justified. Through the blood of Jesus Christ and the work of the Spirit in our lives, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Let go.